Welcome back to Season 2 of Talking Points. This season, we're back with another 10 beautiful conversations with some of the world's most extraordinary dancers, choreographers and artistic directors. I'm your host, Claudia Lawson. 30 years ago, a small independent film by a first-time director and an unknown cast hit our screens. That film was Strictly Ballroom. And so, for our final episode of Season 2 of Talking Points, I'm speaking with the legendary Paul Mercurio. Paul was born in Swan Hill in regional Victoria, and he started dancing after he saw his elder sister in a local dance class. With Dad off the scene early, the family moved to Perth, where Paul continued to train at the John Curtin Senior High School, as it was known then, before at 18 being accepted into the Australian Ballet School in Melbourne. But in a rebel move, he joined the Sydney Dance Company before graduating. It was the golden era of Graham Murphy's directorship, and it was a position he held for 10 years as a principal dancer, muse and choreographer. It was during his latter years at Sydney Dance Company that Paul received a call from an unknown director called Baz Luhrmann, who asked him to help choreograph a dance film. It was a call that changed his life. In this wonderfully honest interview, Paul talks about his early years in dance, his angry man years, as he calls them, where he wrote poetry, smoked weed and rode motorbikes. But we also talk about how Strictly Ballroom came to be, the behind the scenes and how the film changed his life. Finally, we talk new careers, raising a family and his plans for making a more inclusive community in his local area. We're just quickly interrupting this episode to let you know that we're delighted that Paul Mercurio's episode of Talking Points is sponsored by Energetics. Energetics are a sustainable, Australian-made brand that specialise in creating world-class dancewear for the stars of tomorrow. Perform and feel your best at every stage of your dance journey in Energetics' premium, high-performance fabrics. You can see their entire range online at energetics.com.au and for all Talking Points listeners, there's a 20% discount on all Energetics products using the code PAUL20 at the checkout. And the offer is available until the end of March 2023. Paul, it's just really wonderful to have you with us. Um, we all know you from your incredible career at Sydney Dance Company and, of course, Strictly Ballroom. But I was hoping you could take us back to the beginning and tell us about your family and where you grew up. You know, I was born in Swan Hill. Uh, it's quite funny, actually. A lady came up to me in the street one day and said, you won't remember me. And I went, mm, no, I don't. And she said, I um, I nursed you when you were born oh, <laughs> in the wow. Swan Hill Hospital. So I was surprised that someone would think I might remember them when I was just born. <laughs> so for those who don't know the geography, that is a small town in Victoria outside of Melbourne? Oh, yeah, on the Murray River. So uh, about three or so hours, I guess, out of Melbourne, three and a half. Um, so... I was born there. We came down and lived in Ballarat and Melbourne until my mum and dad um, split up mm-hmm. at the age of five. And mum and the kids went to Perth back in 69 and uh, dad didn't sort of turn up and unfortunately didn't kind of send you know money and do his bit. So we ended up in social housing and, you know, single uh, parent pension and all that sort of stuff. It was, okay. a, you know, it's it was a, a tough enough time, but I guess out of that, it meant that I found a um, a will and a drive to be different, look after myself, um, work. You know, I used to 
go out and get odd jobs here and there. So I used to reach out to different people and say, why was me? Things aren't easy and not sure what to do. But generally, um, they wouldn't answer me back when I did that. And so, as I said, I went, oh, okay, I've got to do it. (laughs) So that was a great lesson. Um, I started dancing in Perth when I was nine. Okay, because I was going to ask, so what was the motivating factor or what, what made you start dancing? Uh, look, it was a couple of things. My sister was at a ballet school and at the end of the year they used to get sort of Christmas presents and things and I think I I kind of liked that idea. Wow. And and was it an instant love? Was it something that you just thought, yes, this is, this is for me? Um, no, I don't recall feeling it that. Okay. I mean, I went to ballet, then my two younger brothers came so we all went to ballet we did ballet and uh, classical ballet jazz tap song and dance mm-hmm. I don't remember loving it there's there were elements I sort of really liked about it and elements that I found bewildering I guess mm-hmm. I kind of found the, the exams a bit strange too because I just wanted to I guess dance I just mm-hmm. wanted to be in the musicals I just wanted to tell a story and perform and yet all this other stuff was getting in the way. Oh, I see. So that's the bewildering part, the sitting of the exams and that sort of structure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and even back in those days, you know, at the Fremantle Town Hall, the concerts and the amount of hairspray that was going <laughs> around was he was joking. <laughs> so at the good old age of 12, I gave up. Did you? Yeah. So um, going back to the fact that we lived in sort of housing commission or social housing, we lived in a pretty tough area and I went to the primary school there mm-hmm. but the high school was like a five-minute walk up the street from where we lived but I don't think any of us would have survived that high school we were you know my sister and my, myself and my two younger brothers we were creatives and the high school was not about creatives you know do you mean from the bullying yeah yeah um I couldn't go up the shops which were about a 10-minute walk up the street for a year because the local gang wanted to beat me up. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. I got caught by them, but thankfully I got away. And um, uh, I remember one time we went up to the shops to get some stuff and as I walked out, one of the gang bullies stepped in my way and, you know, shouldered me and my mum walked past and shouldered him back. <laughs> oh. We didn't have a phone at our house and there was a phone up the street and down the laneway and if you needed to make a phone call, you'd go up there, but you would go very carefully and keep your eyes out. And if you saw anyone, you'd run home. It was just, mm. it was a, it was a tough neighbourhood. So that's just because they knew you had danced, and and you're not even learning dance or ballet at that point. Well, no. Well, and the sad thing is, some of those were my friends from primary school. Mm. You know, when I was when I was dancing, you know, and then when. Later on, the way I got out of not going to that high school was there was a high school in Fremantle called John Curtin mm-hmm. High School, and it was the first sort of theatre arts high school in Australia. It had professional people coming in and teaching, you know, um, drama and acting and lighting and all sorts of things, dance. And I auditioned for that school. So did my sister, and she got in, and I auditioned. I auditioned for the dance and the drama uh, course, but mm-hmm. I decided I'd have had enough of dance. So I got in for both, but decided just to take up the the, the drama side of it. Okay. Uh, and then my two brothers also auditioned. So we basically had to catch a bus half an hour into to this school, mm-hmm. but that was the saviour for, for us and it suited us perfectly. So I think that's now called the John Curtin College of the Arts, which is really yes. well known. But so what was the driving factor despite all that bullying being beaten up, what then makes you pursue drama and dance in spite of the treatment you're getting? Look, a really good question. And 
I've done heaps of interviews over my career and um, and it wasn't really actually, it was only a few years ago someone asked me a question similar to that and I realised that through it all I actually never considered giving up. Mm. And it was a really interesting sort of revelation because I went, wow, after 38 years of interviews, someone's asked me this question about why didn't you? And, and in fact, I'd never considered it. So that's, I don't know. You know, I think once I got to John Curtin, I was mm. doing the drama stuff. I was with a group of like-minded people where sort of in primary school, it was just me going to ballet school and mm. doing it. So we had another bunch of weirdos that I fitted right into. Okay. So you'd found your people. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and then about three years into high school, I had a bit of an epiphany, I guess. You know, I, I'd caught the bus into school and I don't know why, but I was coming into school at a different angle. And John Curtin High School is on a hill and I was walking down uh, to go into the school and it was morning, the lawn was freshly mowed and it, it, it smelled gorgeous. It was a beautiful sort of spring, summerish kind of morning. It was almost like a light shone on me. I stood there and then took this moment in and I just said to myself, fuck, I want to dance. Mm. And I walked into school and started dancing again. Wow. The following year, I mean, I realised I was kind of, I did maths and chemistry and all of that stuff and I was failing. I loved the idea of physics and chemistry, loved it, but I just didn't grasp it. And so I auditioned Mm -hmm. and I took up full-time with the the West Australian Ballet Company. Through all this, is your mum just, she sounds like she must have just been so supportive to have three sons going through dancing at some points in their lives she must have had your back that whole time. Um, absolutely. Mum gave us, you know, made sure we had opportunities. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't easy because four kids on a, you know, on a um, single parent pension for the government, mm. it was not easy at all. But, yeah, she somehow she managed that. Yeah, so she did have our back and she's always um, supported all of us. I, I was the only one that continued on with it. I remember one day we were in ballet, we were in um, a class I'm not sure if it was a tap class or a jazz class or something, and and Val Heston, our teacher, who was pretty fiery, mm-hmm. we might have been getting ready for a concert or something. And anyway, you know, it was the typical Val turning around, red-faced, yelling, if you don't want to be here and do this, then just sit down. And my youngest brother sat down. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end for him, was it? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we all looked at him and went, what are you doing? And, and he was like, well, she said, if you don't want to do it, sit down. <laughs> so I so, did. <laughs> so he sat down, but he went on to be, um, he he ruled the school back in his day and he was a um, lighting, de- became a lighting designer, production manager and oh, wow. toured the world with Bengara Dance Theatre as a production manager. And, you know, oh, he's, so he went off and found his own niche, which, mm. um, you know, was terrific. But, yeah, mum's always been very supportive. I hear that you are then accepted into the Australian Ballet and you drove your car across Australia to Melbourne. Is that right? No, that's not right. I wish no. it was, but yeah, I'd love that. It's a great story. I might pinch it for my that autobiography. From? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's another story, but I auditioned for the Australian Ballet School. And funnily enough, there were four Perth boys taken into the school. Okay. So there was myself, there was uh, Darren Spowart, mm-hmm. uh, David McAllister. Yes, well who known. obviously yep. went on to be the artistic director for many years. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Heathcote, who was the wow. principal of the Australian Ballet for 20 years. So the four of us kind of auditioned and 
all got into the school. I didn't really know Darren or David at that time, but Stephen was a part-time scholarship student with the West Australian Ballet Company. Okay. And we developed a really good friendship. And I had a motorbike, so I, you know, I'd ride into the ballet company and <laughs> spend the day. And then in the evenings, the other scholarship students would come and do class and they would all leave. And Stephen and I would stay and put music on and dance and choreograph and all that sort of thing. Uh, and in fact, Garth Welsh, who was still with the company, called us. And from that, in fact, Garth invited me to choreograph for the um, West Australian Cup, the Ballet Company workshop. But, you know, after Stephen and I would do that, we'd jump on the motorbike and drive down the freeway and uh, I'd pull off the freeway and we'd roll cigarettes and have a smoke and talk about life. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was a really great time. And then, uh, as I said, Garth offered to let me choreograph. So I choreographed a little ballet for their workshop, which, you know, which was very generous of them and the dancers to let me do that. And it was a nice work. I think, you know, people liked it. But my mum came along to that and um, she was very proud. But she said to me later on, that was the moment she knew she was going to lose me. Uh, to somewhere bigger and yeah. greater. Yeah, and of course, mm. you know, I auditioned for the Australian Ballet uh, school and Stephen and I caught the train, the Indian Pacific. So Stephen and I, and I like to say we got on the train as boys and we got off it as young men. Mm. Um, we had a we had a great a great trip, <laughs> but we met this miner called Roger who got us absolutely smashed, and <laughs> and he knew what he was doing. It's like you know two two young kind of ballet boys on the train. You know, we're off to the ballet school, and this is going. And he just got us so drunk. And, um, <laughs> so, but it was a great trip. So, and of course, we got off in Melbourne, and my dad met us, which was also a pretty interesting thing and experience because he had essentially been fairly estranged. Yeah, he stayed there, and you know, got involved with another woman, another family, and all that sort of thing. Okay. So, I guess getting off that train was the beginning of you know reconnecting with my dad, mm -hmm. but it was also the beginning of my journey and Steve's journey, you know, to becoming men and and dancers and all of that. So, from the Australian Ballet School, do you graduate straight to Sydney Dance Company? Yeah. I mean, I suppose for those who are not in the dance world, they may not, you know recognise that you were there during, I suppose, the heady years of, was Graham Murphy was artistic director, I think for your entire tenure. But 10 years in that company is a huge amount of time to to spend with a company. It's the longest job I've ever had. Because <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I'm, I'm freelance and I just go, you know, from here to there. But, yeah, so Graham and Janet came down and put on a couple of their works on the ballet school. Mm. And they cast me in, in one of Graham's roles. And that, at the end of that, so this is at the end of my first year at ballet school, yeah. they offered me a role with the Sydney Dance Company. I went, sure. So I didn't like the ballet school. I'd spent a year or a year and a half with the West Australian Ballet Company, mm. kind of doing my own thing, performing with them and going back to the ballet school, you know, they sort of wanted to fit you in a, a certain box. And Stephen fitted into that box really well. I didn't. I was, okay. to be honest, I was, you know, Scott Hastings wanting to dance his own steps. Even, <laughs> even then I just, okay. and I knew I wanted to dance my own steps because I was choreographed a bit there as well. But I do often think that I was there during the golden years. And luckily enough, quite part of those golden years with Graham choreographing, you know, a couple of ballets on me as, as the lead. So, uh, you know, it was a pretty awesome experience. 
Yeah. And your wife was there as well, I think. Yep. Yeah. I didn't talk to her for the first year because at the time she joined the company, I was, you know, going through my angry young man phase, writing poetry and, you know, all of that. I'm not sure that's the most rebellious thing I've heard for an angry young man, Paul, <laughs> writing poetry. <laughs> well, you know, I used to smoke a lot. I used to smoke a lot of dope and I'd write poetry. So I was pretty, oh, okay. I, you know, and then I'd go on long motorcycle rides, you know. <laughs> so that was about as rebellious as I got, I think. <laughs> but, you know, once, um, you, you know, we toured and we partied and we worked hard and mm-hmm. it was great. And, you know, looking back at now, you know, Andrew and I started to get to know each other and, you know, then we travelled with the company together. Then I left the company. Okay. Uh, because I guess I wanted to go out and have a look at the world and maybe get some work elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And with Andrew, I said, well, our relationship's finite because I need to go off and do this. And mm-hmm. I selfishly, I guess, or, or not selfishly, depends which way you look at it, I needed to go off and have an experience. Okay. And it was always part of that. So when Andrew and I sort of did get together, I, I was certainly honest about that. Um, so I remember we were on tour in Italy and it was the last night, you know, in Italy where the company went back the next day and I stayed. It was a very, you know, a very emotional um, time. But um, I backpacked around Europe for um, six or seven or eight months, auditioned for a few companies, got into one in Germany, but the contract didn't start for a couple of months and I couldn't wait. And then Andrea decided to just come over to Europe for a trip. <laughs> and um, she was basically coming back to get me. And, <laughs> um, so she came and got me and um, we toured around together and then came back to the to Australia and back to the dance company. Incredible. And so, I mean, the 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 obvious question is coming. But how does then Strictly Ballroom happen? Like where does that call come from, out of the blue from Baz? Well, it was out of the blue from Baz. Okay. You know, I got a phone call from this bloke who said he's, you know, Baz Lerman, and he told me a little bit about this film he was doing and he was interested in me choreographing Scott's Illegal Steps. Okay. So... John O'Connell was the choreographer for the film, mm-hmm. but Baz wanted me to come in and kind of do Scott's naughty steps. Okay. And I went, yeah, sure, great, sounds great, yep, no probs, can do. And a year later, and I do believe Baz, you know, must have been kind of watching me because Kim Walker and I choreographed a ballet called Cafe, which was at the um, Sydney Wharf, mm-hmm. Sydney, Sydney Theatre Company at the Wharf Studio. And it was a great ballet, but it was just about the day in the life of a cafe, which... Um, Kim and I used to frequent and I used to spend my New Year's Eves and Christmas days there on my own, um, drinking coffee, playing pinball. Um, Great little cafe. Uh, And so Baz must have come along and watched all this sort of stuff. And about a year after the first phone call, he rang me and said, Paul, it's Baz, (laughs) which is what he would say. And um, he said, look, I've got the money for the film and I'd actually like you to audition. And um, I went, oh, yeah, okay, sure. Whatever. Because this is Baz's first film. I mean, he has yeah. no reputation at this stage, you know, where you're yeah. getting the call from Baz Luhrmann to come and audition. I mean, in a way it was a risk for you as well. Um, I didn't think of it in that way. Um, okay. You know, Baz was always just this strange character that called me a couple of times. Do a film? Yeah, I'd like to do a film. I mean, I did a couple of experimental films back when I was with um, John Curtin High School as a kid. Mm-hmm. I went, yeah, and I've been on TV with the dance company quite a bit and whatever. Um, so I went, yes, I'd, it'd be great. I'd like to do a film and and that sort of thing. But, you know, typical dancer, we were 
you know, in rehearsal for a show, we were working hard, you put mm-hmm. blinkers on, you get up, go to work, work your backside off, go home, sleep, get up, go to work, you know, and it's just very focused. So mm-hmm. whilst it was a, a fun idea, um, I turned up for the audition. I hadn't learnt my lines. I think I was late. I'd raced from rehearsals. So it was like I sort of did everything not to get the job in terms of what I would do now. <laughs> but, look, we did the audition and it was fun. You know, Tara was there. John O'Connell did some choreography and we did scenes. And basically Baz wanted to cast me. And I only found out later on he'd actually auditioned some other people from the dance company. And I think, again, the, the ego comes out a little bit here. And from what I'd heard, he'd auditioned everyone and everywhere but couldn't find anyone. And then I asked me to do it and went, boom, you're Scott. Is the the chemistry and the energy that comes through in that film, is that what it was like to film? Yeah, absolutely. The great thing about when uh, we made the film was there was a bunch of us that were newbies, you know, Baz included, myself, Tara, and a whole lot of other younger people. And then we had, you know, some actors, Bill Hunter and whatnot, who'd been around and done, and, of course, Barry Otto and the rest. In some ways, it was a great combination. But because we were first-timers and sort of naive, we were just having fun, Mm. you know. And I was used to working hard because at the dance company you just work hard, Mm -hmm. you know. So getting on a film set and working hard was normal. Yes. But having fun and creating this stuff, that was the exciting thing. We all, I don't think any of us really sat back and went, oh, this is going to be a great film. I think we sat back and went, geez, we're having a great time. I love that. I've heard a story that the woman who played Fran's grandmother in that scene where she says, where do you feel the rhythm, that she couldn't actually get the beat and that Baz was actually tapping the beat on her back. Is that right? Uh, That's yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to find your sources. Oh, by the way, regarding me driving from Perth to Melbourne, there is a story where I drove from Sydney to Melbourne overnight just to go to the ballet school and party with my old friends <laughs> and left my car there for two years because it wouldn't start once I parked it. <laughs> so in the um, the scene where the, the grandmother says, where do you feel the rhythm? And mm. I, you know, I do some kind of dancey thing and she goes, no, no. And she, she's going to tap that on my chest. <laughs> and so we film the scene and you've got my face and hers and the hands of my chest and she's kind of going da, 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 da. <laughs> and she couldn't get it. So Baz got Antonio yes. to kneel, get on his knees, and he would tap the rhythm on her bum, <laughs> of, and then she was meant to follow that rhythm on my chest. And there I hear Antonio going, da, 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 da. And um, the grandma, and I do apologize, I've forgotten her name, she's going, da, 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 da. <laughs> and, of course, I'm meant to be feeling the rhythm and having this wonderful moment, but I could hear the two rhythms and, you know, <laughs> it was um, it was a challenge not to sort of laugh, I'm, and I'm sure we did a couple of times. But um, And, you know, there's all sorts of little stories like that. And, again, making Strictly Ballroom, you know, we had to make stuff up as we went along and, you know, be creative with, you know, how we did things. So that was just one of them. And so did you remain as choreographer on the film for the non or the non-strictly ballroom steps? Essentially I contributed choreography. Okay. I think that was my credit. Choreography is a very collaborative thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of the way 
I've worked it, and that's the way Graham sort of worked it. You know, you get together in a room, Graham throws some steps at you, and you go, oh, what about that? And he goes, yeah, that's good. That's what I was thinking. And then he would do something else. It was like, oh, I thought you'd do that. And, you know, and so, of course, doing ballroom stuff, that was very new to me, and um, John had come from that world. But I did stuff, you know, like the solo and, mm. um, you know, just little bits. Yeah. And so the, the film is obviously, you know, a blockbuster. And I read that you and Tara Morris, who played Fran, actually toured the world for a year after the film was released to promote that film. I mean, how do you return to normal life after such success? Mm. Well, I never left normal life. Okay. Really? Because, in fact, we, you know, we did tour, but mostly um, we did a bit of a world tour and my wife and two kids came. Okay. So, and we've, you know, I always felt bad for the people in first class because uh, Andrew and I flew first class and we had Elise, who was two-ish, and we had Emily, who was under one. So in some ways, I never left normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there was this sort of element too, and I was very wary of it, where Andrew and I would go to a function and producers or um, studio people or the people buying and promoting the film, they'd come up and say, G'day, Andrew, you look great. Paul, how are you? And then someone would take Andrew one way and take me the other way. And there was an element of they didn't kind of want me to be married because they wanted the young girls to get all excited and and this idea that possibly if I was married, they might not get that excitement and might not sell as many tickets. It's kind of weird. Okay, and, so they didn't, didn't want that family man in a happy no. marriage with children to be the the rock star Hollywood superstar. Yeah, not really. They you know, they wanted to tell a slightly different narrative, but I wouldn't do that. So, um, and I let them know that uh, it didn't hurt the film at all. No, and I think too because I'd had you know ten years with the dance company touring the world with them, doing a lot of press. You know, I was you know a principal dancer, so mm. doing um, some TV and radio and press. I was already a little bit got how the media worked a bit. Mm. So, yeah, it, it was a super exciting time, but, uh, you know, yeah, I never left normal. Yeah, because I didn't realise you were really still being dad and a husband during that time. It's I was perhaps- still changing nappies. I was still feeding them, you know, I was still there. Um, yeah. After that time, how did you navigate choosing different films. I mean, you've appeared in so many films, both, you know, in Australia and in the US. How did you navigate that time after Strictly? Because, like, is it a difficult thing to navigate once a film has been so successful? Well, I was really, really lucky that because it was so successful, you know, doors opened Mm. for me in, in the States. Not so many doors opened here in Australia because Australia saw me as a dancer that was in a film. Okay. And so okay. occasionally I would go to audition even for TV shows and that, you know, in fact I went and auditioned for I think it was a Water Rats guest appearance. Mm-hmm. And I did the audition and, you know, I had to cry and whatever. So I did that and did my crying. And, and again, you know, the director looked at me and he said, I'm really sorry, Paul. I had no idea you were such a good actor. I, I thought when I read you were coming in, I thought there was no dance in this show. And so frustratingly, Australia didn't open doors for me like the US did because over there they'd go, hey, Paul, wow, man, you can act and, boy, you can dance. And so I was an actor that could dance oh, uh, as see. opposed to the dance guy. Who's just Australia. happened to be in a film. Yeah. So, oh, that's so interesting. You know, that was really difficult to 
manage and deal with. Yeah. Did you, is it true that you turned down the lead role in Priscilla? I did. And the the reason for that was, I guess, my whole my whole thing as a young boy dancing. I was caught in a difficult place because, you know, all the straight kids at school were thinking I was gay because I danced and then all the gay guys that danced or whatever thought I was gay because I was a dancer. I always just wanted to say dance is fine, dance is great, you know. Um, it's important that men are allowed to dance, you know. There's nothing sort of whatever. So after I did Strictly, when I was asked to do Priscilla and the director, Stephen Elliott, he actually said, look, you can. I want you to, to do it and you can do either the, these two roles, not the Terrence Stamp role, but the other two. And I ummed and and agonised over it and my issue was I've just mm. made dance mm. for blokes. It's now, it's kind of, it's got the tick of approval. You know, I'd go to pubs after Strictly Ballroom, you know, one guy come up to me one day and, mate, he said to me, mate, my wife dragged me kicking and screaming to see your bloody movie and it was the best thing she ever done. Mm. And it was like... So are you saying it, 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 it sort of normalised dancing for males in this country? I, I think so. You know, the sort of guys previously that would want to beat me up in the pub because, you know, I was on tour with the dance company, now would come up and buy me a drink and go, geez, that movie was great. Geez, you dance well. Geez, you know, I might go to dancing. And people that you'd never think would go off and start dancing did. So I was just really frightened and concerned that if I then turned up as a drag queen, I would wreck all of that good work strictly just done. Mm. And so I eventually said no to it. It's such a hard line to to navigate, isn't it? Because that transgender LGBTI group also has their own struggles, and you know how that how we can normalise that for everyone. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting conversation. Yeah, you know, look, I've never really doubted the decision because mm. I felt incredibly committed to the fact that guys can dance, guys can be ballet dancers or whatever, you know. And um, mm. I guess coming from the world I came from, I really did. My understanding is that um, if I turned up as a drag queen and gay or whatever, that would people would just use that and weaponize it and say, "Well, see, it's not true." Oh, I see. And I guess because I was the guy that broke that sort of seal and said, "Yep, dance is fine," I couldn't then that next that next step that, that I think Priscilla did, mm. I couldn't have done it because. Um, it needed to be someone else, I guess. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, like, that next barrier that hopefully has been broken more and more since that time, yeah. that was not your role in that community. No, well, in the general community that mm. I, you know, I did, I fulfilled my brief and whilst mm. I would have loved to have done the film, it was important that other people broke the next ceiling. Yeah. You know, not me because I wasn't the right person at that time to be able to do that. So interesting. Mm. And so you've really diversified since leaving dance. Was there a time in which you, you know, a lot of athletes and dancers really grieve and really struggle to redefine themselves once they leave that really what is an all-consuming career? Was there a time that you started to feel that you needed to move away from dance and was there a grief that came with that? No and no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I always thought it was weird, you know, at the Australian Ballet School that that there was, I mean, we, you know, we learnt all sorts of things and we used to have to go to this class which was all about the history of dance and I would sit there going, I don't care about the history of dance, I want to dance. Mm. I always thought it was weird that we didn't have makeup classes or 
that they didn't have a class where they prepped us for when our careers finished, if indeed we had a career, because mm. I, I was at the ballet school and I developed some really good friends and some of them never had a career. You know, and so they spent three years at the graduated and then never got into a company. Yeah, mm. and for a number of reasons. I mean, there's not a lot of jobs. Mm. So I was always aware that there had to be something else. Obviously, I was leaning towards choreography and um, when Strictly came out, I opened my own dance company called mm. Australian Choreographic Ensemble. I was going off to have my own ballet company and I guess that's where I felt my trajectory was heading. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Strictly sort of on some ways it helped I don't know if it hindered but certainly um I did feel a bit sorry for the people that came to see my first work because it was a fairly angry contemporary ballet um, that I did <laughs> and I think a lot of people were coming along to see Scott Hastings oh, do see. some you know do some ballroom <laughs> yeah. and, you know they've come into the performance space in Cleveland Street and you know there's I've got film being projected on things and fires and all this angry you know I was getting my angry stage out still so is that you've mentioned that a couple of times is that anger stage is that about your dad or about your treatment when you were younger being bullied where was that anger coming from um no one's asked me that and um I have no idea I've not contemplated it but I would assume it's yes it's from dealing with the anger at my dad and growing up in a hard place and um, having to do it on my own and, uh, you know, and the the harsh sort of unfair treatment thrown my way because I was just a kid who liked to dance, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Do you know, it's interesting you say that. We, almost without exception, every male that we've interviewed on this series, and this is now series two, I think with the exception of one of the First Nations dancers that we talked to last year, Daniel Riley, everybody else had been bullied as a child if just because they wanted to dance and they were male. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I don't understand the fear um, from people. But I've spoken to girls who did ballet and they said the same. They got bullied by other girls because they were doing ballet and maybe not to the extent that guys did. I, I don't really know, but... Um, I was quite surprised to hear Mm. that it happened that way too. Just because we're coming to the end of our chat, I just wanted to ask then how have you, I mean, what motivated you? You're about to run for a a Victorian state seat in politics. You've had cooking shows. I mean, what what is um, particularly the politics, what's motivated you to get into politics? I just believe maybe it goes back to that very first time when I was 11 or 12, I wrote my Uncle Bob a letter complaining and going, why was me and life's hard and I want to surf but I can't afford a surfboard, I want to do this and, you know, and I was really asking for some help and Uncle Bob never wrote back and that's where I went, oh, I get it, I've got to do it. Hmm. You know, I have. it's up to me. And I guess taking that, I've, I've never been scared to ha- have a go at things but also when I see things that aren't right mm-hmm. or where I see things need to change or I see that people need help and support, then, you know, I'll put my hand up. And there was things that happened to mum on a political level from governments that I just thought was wrong. And so I want to make that right now. Yeah. Uh, My middle brother committed suicide um, 22 years ago and, uh, you know, I've had five friends. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's funny. He's been gone for 22 years and every now and then I go, geez, I'd like to, Call Michael. <laughs> mm. You go, damn it. You can't pick up the phone. But, you know, I want to help him, you know, and how do I continue to help people like 
my friends that are no longer here and my mum that had struggles and well I'd do it by running for state government and being part of a team that hopefully you know finds solutions and works to make things better for the community uh, and for you know all people and you know inclusivity is a huge one Mm. and again I guess that comes from the fact that I wasn't included because I was a bit weird and a bit different Politics in itself is a, is a pretty strange animal and I have said to people I don't really want to be a politician but just like fame is a byproduct of being on TV and movies, I think being a politician is a byproduct for, for mm. working in a government and trying to help the community. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'll have to embrace the inner politician. <laughs> I guess that's the motivation. Well, I'm not guessing. That is the motivation. Mm. To right some of those wrongs that you've seen along your journey perhaps. Absolutely. And, you know, we need people to be working on that always. So it's my time. It's my turn. Mm. And did you ever reconcile with your dad? Yeah, I did. Dad and I got on. Um, I always knew that I knew the relationship, you know, it wasn't going to be sort of deep and spiritual and whatnot, like my relationship with my mum. Mm. But dad and I got on really well. We had some great laughs. We never, actually, we never argued. Mm. I always told him I forgave him, you know, and I said to him, Dad, you know, you're a bloke, you've made lots of mistakes, but you're a bloke just trying to navigate the world. He came from a pretty, you know, really harsh, hard childhood and he tried to sort of right the wrongs of that and I said to him that I forgave him. He never forgave himself though, which I wish he could have because, um, you know, there's a point where you've got to stop beating yourself up about things. It's time to, yeah. One final question, and it's a huge career and a huge life, and we've really only touched upon, um, you know, the back end of your different careers, but any regrets along the way, anything that that stands out that you'd do differently? Um, Regrets, uh, life experiences that you didn't learn anything from. So I have disappointments, which are regrets that you learnt things about yourself (laughs) and life. And you addressed and hopefully took those experiences and worked with them to make yourself a better person. So I don't have any regrets because, you know, the experiences that I've had and I've learned from them. Mm. I think not learning from an experience would be a huge regret. So, yeah, I would encourage people learn from your mistakes or learn from those things you call regrets and then, you know, they become disappointments but you become a better person. Mm. Paul Mercurio, thank you so much. It's just been it's just been so insightful to to chat to you today. And um, yeah, thank you for giving us your time. Paul is currently running as the Labor candidate in the seat of Hastings in the 2022 Victorian state election. He continues to run his cooking business and enjoy life with his wife, their three adult daughters, and their new granddaughter. To continue to follow all of Paul's adventures, you'll find him on Instagram at paul underscore mercurio underscore official. Paul and I recorded remotely with Paul dialing in from the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria on the land of the Bunurong people to whom we pay our greatest respects. Talking Points is produced by Fjord Review. Remember to subscribe to get the episodes as soon as they're released and if you like us, please leave a five-star review. So we thought this would be our final episode of Talking Points for Season 2. But next week we're back with a bonus episode. I'll be speaking with the Artistic Director of the Australian Ballet, David Horberg, for a catch-up on how he's been as Artistic Director since we last spoke.
Your host and producer is me, Claudia Lawson, with additional production by Penelope Ford and Clint Topic. Sound production and editing by Martin Peralta at Output Media. And for the latest in all things dance, head to fjordreview.com. <laughs>